Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everybody, it's Jessica, and I am so very glad that you are here for today's episode. I have been really thinking and praying for the right person to come into my path for this week's episode, and so I reached out on social and said, who do you know that is truly extraordinary? Somebody that exemplifies an extraordinary mom, an extraordinary person, and immediately a name stuck out to me. It's a name I had heard before from somebody who hasn't been on the show yet, so I'm so excited. Mandy Sherman is my guest, and you probably are already familiar with her online. She has a significant following, but that's not what makes her extraordinary. She has cystic fibrosis. She's a mom. She's an advocate. She's a warrior. And we're going to talk about her journey to motherhood. We're going to talk about her health journey. I want to talk about what it's like to have a chronic illness when in that category of people that are more susceptible to COVID and what that feels like. It's a tough time for people who have fragile immune systems and underlying conditions and things like that right now. And so I'm just so honored that Mandy would take the time to share her journey with me today. You are going to be so inspired and just fall even more in love with her. So let's get to my conversation with Mandy Sherman. All right, I am so excited to be chatting with Mandy Sherman today. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Jessica. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Where am I speaking to you from? I am in Salt Lake City, Utah. Nice. Well, it's always fun when we're trying to coordinate time zones and things like that, but we got all figured out, and this is an extra special episode that I was telling my friends on social media this week, like, I I usually batch record and have a bunch in the queue, and it just wasn't feeling right, like any of the episodes I had preloaded for this week. And I'm just like, there's got to be somebody out there that like I'm supposed to talk to or that my listeners are supposed to hear from. And so I just put out a all call like, does anybody know anybody that's truly extraordinary? And to be honest, it was one of the first responses. Um, somebody that had heard you speak at uh, women's uh, or youth camp and she just raved about you and I had already heard of you. And so I was like, I think this is it. I think this is it because as much as I love the authors and the business owners and people that are like hustling and bustling and being moms too, what I love more than anything is hearing an authentic motherhood journey where sometimes the odds are against us, but the grit and unique design of each of us contributes just to this beautiful story of womanhood and motherhood and you just embody all of that. So I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much. That is a very sweet introduction. (laughs) Oh, my pleasure. Well, for people that don't know you yet, Mandy, will will you just give a background on yourself and your family? Yeah. Um, So I am a 31-year-old woman. I live with the disease cystic fibrosis. Anytime you ask me, I will always be honest with my age because it's something I have worked very hard for and I'm extremely proud of. Cystic fibrosis is a terminal disease. And when I was born, the doctor said I would be lucky if I lived till 18. And so the ability to actually live into adulthood is amazing in and of itself and the things that I've been able to accomplish by becoming an adult um you know I'm on your podcast a mom podcast so that means I have been able to become a mom which is amazing um for so many different reasons um and I I am a stay-at-home mom, um, but I work full-time. I manage my health. Managing my health takes more than 40 hours a week. Um, So I do that, and I'm currently homeschooling my son, which is an unexpected journey for me, but I've welcomed it with open arms, and it has been much better than I thought. I love that so much. 
There's so there's so much that I love about that. Um, you had mentioned that you knew that I had a previous guest with cystic fibrosis, my friend Lena MacArthur. She was actually diagnosed, Mandy, when she was 30. She didn't oh, get wow. diagnosed till she was 30 years old. And she had had all the symptoms her whole life. She'd been in and out of wow. hospitals with pneumonia and, and all these other things attributed to all these respiratory issues and nasal issues and gastro issues. And they yeah. just missed it. And she'd had two kids by then. Yeah. Does that blow your mind? I mean, that, it, that does. It, you know, my mind is like racing, thinking of so many different things. Um, first and foremost, I mean, I feel bad that she lived 30 years without any proper treatment yes. of, you know, her disease. But I, I admire her for, you know, all that she was able to do in spite of it. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm not too surprised when you say that, um, you know, she was 30 before she was diagnosed only because you think back 30 years. Um, I, I'm, I'm 31 now. So 30 years or 31 years ago, 1989 was the first year that they found the cystic fibrosis gene in your DNA. Oh. And so really that's when it became like really on the radar of the medical community. And so before that, anybody that would have had a diagnosis would have been somebody with like severe symptoms. And, you know, it sounds like your wonderful friend, she definitely had symptoms and probably had like a, a difficult health journey throughout life. But um, she was able to unfortunately or fortunately stay yeah. off their radar a little bit and so um yeah I mean we've come so so far in medical advancements the last 30 years so it's part of newborn testing newborn screening now so nobody will have the same journey your cute amazing friend did hopefully everybody will be able to be diagnosed and get help right from the start yeah because as hard as that diagnosis can be for a new parent to take in and to envision what could be a quite a different life than they had envisioned for their child. And when you're told your child has a terminal disease, that's that's heavy. However, like what you're saying, the sooner you can get support and proper medical treatment, and I mean, the, just the advancements that are literally happy, happening every single year, it's so, so different. And so here you are at 31, thriving and I just read a post um, from your social that you know talked about a very successful trip to the doctor or telemedicine you know and like your numbers are great and I bet you know 20 25 years ago your doctors never would have predicted here's Mandy at 31 doing really well and managing her disease very well yeah wow. yeah you're right about five years ago I was living in a different state and I was really pretty sick and mm. I had just joined, we just moved there. So I had a new clinic and I was hospitalized and, um, the doctor who treats the sick fibrosis patients, you know, I was, I have at that point, I had one of the lowest lung function percentages that I've had in cystic fibrosis being a full body disease, but heavily affects the respiratory system. You know, something we, we deal with a lot and he he was so negative here he said he's like I already know how your story is gonna end I know how your story is gonna go in the next five years hmm. like, what are you even talking about like that is so mean you don't know me you don't know my story like but that was honestly you know he'd been a professional in the industry and as they got into adulthood or the older patients got the sicker and sicker they got and yeah. if you don't get a lung transplant you know it it is your time to graduate life. And um, I'm thankful I was born in the time that I was. So I've been able to have all of these medical advancements and live here longer than anybody has expected. Mm. Look at you go. And and who knows? Like who the heck knows what the next five years will bring with the level of advancement and just your own positivity and will to make the most of of life like that's unstoppable you nobody can else can tell you what's gonna what life's gonna bring when that's your attitude yeah I think um I'm very grateful um I didn't realize how privileged I was growing up and under my parents um 
my parents rule, they are very, very positive people. And that was how life was modeled to me all growing up. And I didn't even know cystic fibrosis was terminal until I was 12-ish at a doctor's appointment. And the doctor had said something. And I, I was so taken back. I was like, what do you mean cystic fibrosis is terminal? I've never heard of this. I've had it my whole life. Nobody's talked to me. And I felt a lot of betrayal in that moment at my parents. Like, what? Why did you keep me in the dark? Mm. And so I brought it up to them on the drive home. And they're like, oh, yeah. Um, sorry, we didn't tell you. That's just <laughs> something we've never really focused on. We're not focused right. on the number of life expectancy, how long you're supposed to live. We've always just focused on living a good life, doing what we can so you have the optimum health right now. And, you know, our plan is to continue to do that throughout your whole life. And hopefully if we work to achieve optimum health now and in the next age and the next age and the next age, you know, who knows how long you'll be able to live. Hmm. And just having that, you know, something so daunting that they could have focused on, um, oh, Mandy only has five more years to live or, you know, like, oh, you're so sick right now. Maybe like this is going to be the last None of that. That was not my childhood. It was like, you're sick right now. Let's get help. Let's get your medication. Let's do extra treatments. So in a couple weeks, you can go back to school. And <clears throat> that was just what they modeled for me. It was never focusing on the negative. Finding your silver linings in the specific situation and you know, seeing what you can do about what's in front of you, doing that and moving forward. And I'm so grateful that they modeled that thinking example for me because it has shaped the rest of my life and how I view my own life and what I hope to teach my own son. Yeah. I, yeah, I think we all want that for our kids to, to model that no matter what challenge we're facing, we can get through it and it doesn't need to be dictated by a statistic, by, you know, other right. people that have experienced similar things, things like that. But I love how you pointed out, like at first you were kind of upset with your parents for doing that. And I think that just speaks to a lot of us who feel like, you know, our kids may not always understand why we do what we do for them, why we put certain limitations on. I had a conversation with my 10 year old a couple days ago about sleepovers and our policy mm. is no sleepovers. like. Simple, simple. And we have lots of reasons for that. And that's it. And he just thinks it's like the worst rule ever, right? And no matter how much I explain it to him, there's still that like, oh, mom's the bad guy. Dad's the bad guy, right? And yeah. hopefully he will come around to realizing, oh, yeah, that wasn't my best interest. Because maybe at 12 years old when you found that out, you know, it wasn't like a, a switch that you flipped like, oh, yeah, this is for my best interest. They didn't tell me. Maybe it lingered a little bit. But eventually, when you're able to get on board with, my parents love me. They're trying to give me the best shot at health, life, all of these things. I'm trying to keep my son safe and rested and in a good mood and all of these things. <laughs> and sometimes our kids just don't understand why we make those decisions. But sometimes it's appropriate to inform them why we do ahead of time. And then sometimes, yeah, it's going to come up later because we're just doing it. Do you find that? Um, I definitely do. You know, the yeah. cliche like, oh, you'll understand when you become a parent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true. I had the no sleepover rule. I hated it. But now I'm team no sleepover. Totally. So when you become a parent, you understand vastly so many different things that you didn't have, didn't as a child or, yeah. you know, even into adulthood you know, things that you didn't know in your youth. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's the learning process. And, you know, I guess if we're the bad guy for a while in regards to safety, then that's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll be, I'll be that bad guy all day long. Yeah, absolutely. So post age 12, once you had a more realistic vision of your disease, I bet your friends also kind of became more aware or how aware were they of what your day-to-day -day looked like? like and how different it was compared to theirs that's um that's a great question to be honest i didn't realize that my life was different from everybody else's because my normal was waking up two hours before school to do 
an hour or hour and 15 minutes of treatments, you know, and to take a lot of medication and vitamins and pills and supplements. And I kind of just thought everybody else did that before school. Um, I knew that I was a little bit different um, in elementary school, meaning I had to go to the office to take medicine before I, I ate lunch, but my teachers were so great and they, they made it kind of like a reward system for the classrooms. Like whoever was best behaved until lunchtime got to leave early with Amanda to go down and go to the office to get her medication and then go to lunch. And so, um, you know, another great example from my parents is they never hid it. They didn't hide it from me. They didn't hide it from family or friends. And so, um, I, I was never ashamed or worried about who I was, Mm. you know, I was never worried or ashamed that I had this illness and I, I talked about it. If anybody asked about it, I answered questions. Um, but I also had a pretty healthy childhood and adolescence in regards to the CF world, Mm. um, in regards to the, um, not medically challenged people, it probably, you know, it was more heavy than what your air quote typical um, childhood might be like. Um, And so my friends weren't overly aware, meaning it wasn't in their face all the time, right? A lot of it had to deal with like at home or I went in the hospital, we quartered my, my hospital treatments with Christmas break or fall break and stuff like that. So it didn't interrupt my time at school, which is when you interact with friends mostly. But again, I always talked about it. And as I got into high school and beyond, everybody was aware. And I think that it was really great because it gave the people around me an opportunity to take in somebody who was different and befriend somebody who wasn't exactly like them. Mm. Um, I also, looking back hindsight, I wondered if unintentionally it was a way to protect myself because it helped to filter out and weed people out. Mm. Um, you know, especially when it comes to dating, you know, I first date, man, first date with me was probably really heavy, but they knew <laughs> by the end of the day I had cystic fibrosis, that I had lung disease, you know, I was taking medication, but that's just how I was. That's who I am. And, um, there's so much about me is because of cystic fibrosis. And when I say that's who I am, um, I'm not cystic fibrosis. I'm Mandy and I have cystic fibrosis, but I'm very upfront and open. That's what I mean by that. Mm. And so if you couldn't handle it, that's okay. You didn't have to be my friend or you didn't have to take me on a second date. And that's fine. I totally get some people can't handle it. And so the people that didn't want to be my friends, you know, they didn't have to, they knew that I had this. They didn't have to engage with me if they didn't want to. And that was okay. But, you know, it helped me to keep really good people in my circle, whether that's in friendships or dating. And, um, you know, I've been proud of the life I was able to live being a little bit different than others and accepting that. I love that idea of it weeding out the people that were not going to add value to your life. Not everybody has to like all of us, right? Like we're not for everybody, regardless of, you know, why that is. We don't, it it doesn't matter, but there are going to be our core people that see us and value us and love us just as we are showing up as Mandy who has cystic fibrosis or Jessica who's super short and gets patted on the head way too much in high school. And like, like we all have our things, right? And there's people that aren't going to get it. And that's okay if they go by their way. But we're talking about like the most vulnerable age span, Mandy, like high school, early college, like preteen. Where on earth did all this confidence come from? How did you cultivate that? How did your parents help you cultivate that? And in turn, you know, what do you want to teach your son? Or how are you intentional about that with your son now? Because that is epic having that. Well, thank you. Um, I really do think a lot of it I learned just 
observing through example. Um, you know, my like I said, my parents didn't focus on the negative of cystic fibrosis. They saw the challenge, meaning an illness or a current diet, you know, current pneumonia or something like that. And they thought, okay, how can I fix this? What can I do next? So I learned by watching them how to problem solve and not get stuck when a challenge comes your way, right? And then because they were open about it um, and they weren't ashamed of their child having a certain diagnosis or their child having an illness, I wasn't ashamed, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, like, I have cystic fibrosis. It's okay, you know? I go to the hospital a lot. I take a ton of medication, but that's okay. I can still run with you even though I may run and cough at recess. Um, But... I don't know. They just really parented through example. I don't remember ever having a sit down conversation like, you know, your life is going to be really hard. You have all of these different challenges, but you know, here are some techniques to help you. We mm-hmm. didn't have that. It, our life was really um, very goal oriented. So we always set goals for our family, personal goals, and we would work to accomplish them and talk about how we're going to accomplish them. So I think with my own life, I just learned to um, look towards the future and how I wanted, what I was going to do to accomplish different things. And that helped me to look past my diagnosis and how it limits me in that moment and help me to look past what was supposed to be my life expectancy um, at 18 and you know, figure out how I could plan to still go to college, how I could plan to travel, which is difficult with a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope just, you know, my son will learn from example that, yeah, his mom, he knows his mom is sick. Um, he actually was just playing the other day with his dinosaurs and, you know, he, they, kids, like they create family units with their, mm-hmm. their toys. Right. And mm-hmm. he's like, this is the mama, the mom, the dad, or the dad and the auntie. And he's like, mom's in, mom's in bed sick. I was like, wow. Oh, you do notice those things, you know? So he knows that his mom is, is sick. But what he also knows is he sees her show up every day and do all of her treatments, take all of her medication. Right now, he might not know why, but you know, as he becomes more age appropriate, he can learn why I have to do all of those things in depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also sees, like, he sees me run a half marathon or get on the treadmill every day. And hopefully, when he learns later, as he gets a little bit older, like, holy cow, my mom ran a half marathon with fifty percent lung function. Like, what? And hopefully it will instill in him that confidence and that empowerment that no matter what's happening inside me or around me, I can still do great things. It really stood out to me when you're talking about your parents saying they modeled for you how to problem solve through a challenge. And I think we get this misconception in our mind that we don't want our kids to see us struggle. I think it's getting better. I'm seeing a shift over the past few years of going from kind of like perfect parenting and, you know, modeling of perfect behavior to, okay, this is a real challenge that I'm facing or our family is facing or a brother's facing or whatever it is. How are we going to get through that? And what does that look like? So by shielding our kids from our problems or, from our challenges, whatever it may be, just showing them how to problem solve through that and get through that. And like you said, it doesn't have to necessarily be a conversation about it. It's just showing you what's possible and doing it and moving through it and showing there's still a light at the end of this tunnel. And and I think by kind of putting all of our fights behind closed doors or our emotions you know, saving that for the end of the day or whatever it is, we're kind of doing our kids a disservice by not showing up fully, showing a range of emotions and a range of situations that a human inevitably has to work through. Yeah. And everybody will have to work through all of those things on some sort of capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I'm just, I'm just like so amazed. 
Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in and thank a show sponsor and that is Sorella Styles. Sorella Styles has a great, great brand story. This was inspired by two sisters actually during quarantine. While the stores were closed, it became so difficult to just get a simple t-shirt or sweatpants as everything in most department stores are more form-fitting, comfort is lacking for these little kids, and it was an issue that was going on for months. And that is when Sorella Styles, a family-owned business, was born. They decided to create a line of clothing that are great for lounging around the house or working out in. It's great for kids with sensory problems because comfort is really their number one priority. They pride themselves on giving their customers great quality apparel and they offer everything from sweatshirts to t-shirts to leggings to sweatpants and they even make face masks that are better than the generic traditional ones you can get in the store. They offer free shipping on orders $50 or more and I just love the brand story of how a family took an issue that they were personally having and they found a solution, which I think is so fantastic. Sorella Styles is offering 10% off your total order with the promo code EEP. Visit SorellaStyles.com to redeem your 10% off and get comfortable SorellaStyles.com clothing. All the clothing and comfort to make you smile. Thanks so much to Sorella Styles for sponsoring the show. And now let's get back to my conversation with the amazing Mandy. One of the things that's tricky, I understand, with cystic fibrosis, especially when your immune system is so compromised and things like that, is A, carrying a child can be difficult. And B, if you have a child, the germs can be difficult, right? And so what were you told about your potential to have a family and grow a family? So I would say what I was told in a doctor's office and at home was very different. And I welcome and appreciate both sides of it, actually, because when you are going to a doctor for something or you have a medical team on your side, you know, their goal is to make sure that I have a healthy life, right? Mm -hmm. The only thing that they see from their patient or for me, you know, I'm speaking my personal experience is my health. And what can I do for this person? So they have the best health and they're going to tell you the very strict things and the absolute things. And that's what you want. That's what I appreciate. I appreciate being told how it is and what I can do to help this or how it's supposed to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I can take what they tell me and have my own agency and choose to follow what they advise or not follow, you know? Um, but understanding really how something may affect me, the truth of that, that's so important in my decision making. Mm -hmm. So, you know, growing up, they told me like I wouldn't have kids. Um, I would never be able to have kids, which is so true from a medical standpoint in the sense I was only supposed to live until I was 18. Right. Um, you know, that was in 1989. I was only supposed to live until I was 18. And then all the way in 2015, that was the very first time 50% of the cystic fibrosis population had made it to adulthood. Hmm. So 2015 CF changed from being known as a pediatric disease to being known as a disease because now all of a sudden they had all these, uh, these patients that were in adulthood, which had never happened before. So taking that into consideration, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to have kids because I would never be old enough or my body would never mature enough to have a child. Right. Great point. And so um, you know, then going back to my home, like we didn't focus on the life expectancy. We didn't focus on that. I was sick. We focused on what I needed to do to be healthy. We made long-term goals and short-term goals. And you know, my parents always talked about me going to college or getting married. And that's different than what the doctors told me. But <clears throat> at home, I was able to see myself in a more expansive way you know, all sides of me, not just my health, you know, my parents knew my grit, they knew um, my work ethic, they knew the ability that I have in hope, 
they knew my faith and that I choose to believe in miracles and um, that I, I believe in a higher power helping us when we can't do everything we want to do. And so at home, my reality was a little bit different. You know, they encouraged me to dream and work hard now so that in the future, I would be healthy enough to be an adult. Mm. And as I became an adult, you know, that story didn't really change from the doctor's point of view, meaning they never really encouraged me to have children or talked about that being a possibility. And I, you know, going back to dating and being very open, that's a conversation that I had with my now husband back when we were dating and told him, Hey, look, like if you choose to marry me, the chances of you having your own offspring or your own children are very slim, slim to none, really, if we're going to talk from a medical standpoint. And that's something we had to talk about and he came to terms with and accepted. And, um, we were, you know, we were married and then all of a sudden I found out I was six weeks pregnant and, you know, holy cow, a huge miracle. Um, I, it shouldn't have happened because of, you know, some biological things within my body due to cystic fibrosis. Um, but it did happen. And so we were totally thrilled And, you know, of course we knew that it was going to be a little more complicated because of my cystic fibrosis and my CF team is just as important to me as my family. And so we actually chose to speak to my CF team before we even told our families that we were expecting. And we made an appointment for the next day and went up there and their response was so different than what either of us had expected. You know, we're thinking, holy cow, this wasn't supposed to happen. It did happen. This is amazing. This is great. This is so cool. Everybody loves babies, you know? So it's like, (laughs) yeah, they're going to celebrate with us. They're going to be on board, help us do this. And we went up there and everybody does love babies. So they're like, congratulations. This is very cool. Good for you. And then almost within the same breath, they turned around and said, um, my doctor said, we encourage you to terminate this pregnancy. What? And what? My husband and I, we were not expecting that. And we we're like, what? No way. You know, and going back to like a faith standpoint, we're like, this isn't supposed to happen. And it did. Like, God wants this to happen. And um, from the medical standpoint, you know, I, you know, I really appreciate the bluntness of my doctors. He said, my goal for you is to keep you alive, Mm -hmm. keep you healthy, help you have a good quality of life. And being pregnant directly affects all three of those. And I was like, okay, wow. Okay. I understand that. I knew it was going to be difficult. Um, but I guess maybe it's going to be a little more difficult than I understood. And I asked him how many patients he had had get pregnant or have babies, you know, because I wanted to understand more of the statistics and my odds. And he, he sat for a long time and I could see him counting on his fingers. And he said, I've been practicing for over 42 years. And in that time, I've had eight patients conceive. Wow. He's like, that doesn't mean eight babies. He's like, but people have been able to conceive and he's like, there's a Facebook group of you, meaning women with cystic fibrosis that have had babies. I hadn't had a baby at that point, but I wanted to talk to some people who had been able to do it. And there were only 32 women around the entire world that had had my disease and been able to have a baby, at least in that Facebook group. I'm sure there are some that weren't involved with social media. Um, but I was like, holy cow, okay, that's that's lower than I even expected. Hmm. And my doctor, you know, I, I've said before, I appreciate the bluntness and the truth um, that they give me. And he, he said, four months ago, we had a woman at our same clinic here, one of my patients, who was pregnant and you know, a miracle just like you and both her and the baby passed away in delivery. Whew. And 
He said that was four months ago. He said in four months we have no new information, no more medical advancements. He's like, I literally have nothing to help you. And they were very discouraging of it. And that was very eye-opening for my husband and I. Mm. At this point, we'd been married for three months. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And how old were you? I was 25. Okay, 25, married for three months, elated to be newly pregnant, and yeah. you have this weighty decision, not that you wanted to terminate, but, like, how do we how do we continue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And... I mean, we're supposed to be in the newlywed, like, excited on cloud nine stage, and we were brought back to reality and what life really was very quickly, Mm. and we struggled for a while, um, not knowing what to do. You know, we do believe in our faith that um, life is important, and there's a reason why we are here on earth, and... So we knew, like, this is a miracle, this baby is, like, amazing, and, you know, they're supposed to come to earth, and, um, yeah, I get to be the person to help the spirit do that, but at the same time, we wanted to lean on our faith and our religion, you know, like, I'm sorry, we don't believe in termination of pregnancy, um, so we're not going to do this. Hmm. except there is an exception and the exception is stated unless it's at the threatening the life of the woman or the baby yeah. you know then it's between that's your decision and that's between you and your medical team you and god and you decide what you want to do or what is needed mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so my husband and i here we are three months married and we're like wow, this is crazy. Okay, this is a really big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And ultimately, you know, we did a lot of searching um, medically, you know, grasping to see if there were studies done or information. You know, I talked to just about every single woman that I could find or that I knew of, you know, that had gone through this myself, gone through this same situation that I found myself in. And we did tons of praying and pondering and scripture study and, you know, meeting with our church leaders. And ultimately what we felt is we never felt peace that my life was going to be okay. The only thing we felt very strongly was that this spirit needed to come to earth and that I had been chosen to bring this spirit to earth. And... that's both of us only felt that strongly but we both knew that that's what needed to happen and so we moved forward um with the understanding that if this was the last thing that I was ever to do on earth you know there's more no more beautiful thing that I could do as the last thing of on earth or the last thing that I did in my life than give birth and bring a spirit down to earth to receive their own body. Mm -hmm. And that's how we went forward with the rest of my pregnancy. That's how we went forward into delivery. And we, we were going, we were walking in and we said, well, here goes nothing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Here goes everything, but here goes everything. And, you know, we just kind of smiled and hugged each other and, you know, we're waiting to see what happened. And by all means, I did medically like everything I could to prepare myself. Yeah. You know, really making sure I exercised, working hard to keep my lungs in good function. Um, but at the same time, pregnancy ravaged my body. And I went into delivery the most unhealthy I had ever been, meaning all the damage done to my organs and my lungs inside and so it really was up to god what was going to happen to me and he was in control and i'm very grateful obviously i'm here today so <laughs> i survived labor and delivery and i have a five-year-old son and i'm still here and i'm still making long-term goals but i'm so so grateful and thankful for the experience that i had 
and that I'm able to continue being on here and continuing my life journey. I'm, I'm just speechless. I'm just speechless. A, you're a beautiful storyteller. The way you're able to communicate that is just so beautiful and powerful. And every detail you included is, is just so, it's so personal. And yet it just helps us to, to picture that journey. And it kind of makes us think, like, if we were in that position, like, what what would we do? And I think all of us have been in that spot where it's like, we don't know what's next. There's so many times we step out into that dark place where you're like, well, we don't know what the outcome's going to be, but you feel led to take that next step. And you know that next step is right. But beyond that, you can't control that next outcome. And I think that is just such a powerful example of, of what true faith looks like and obedience. And I mean, obviously, there was just such a plan in all of this for, for both of you. And it is just tremendous that you have this then and now you have the opportunity to homeschool him who knew <laughs> I know right it makes me laugh when you said that I was a good example of obedience because my doctors would severely disagree well and, and that's <laughs> and that's the thing though don't aren't we all at odds with who we're trying to be obedient to at all times like right now Mandy this world is messy like this, like what the heck is going on in the world right now? And I just feel like you can't say anything right, even if you're trying to say the right thing. There's always going to be 50% of people against you. Like it's just, yeah. but, but who or what are you going to be obedient to? And you can listen to just about any voice you want. And I love how you've been so honoring of your doctors and their wisdom and everything like that. But ultimately, their input was one piece of the puzzle for you in your life. And you took that under advisement and then you took your parents, you know, perspective under advisement and you took, you know, and then you went inward and you're just living as intentionally and authentically and weighing the calculated risks for every, I mean, I can't even fathom the amount of decision-making that goes on when you have a chronic terminal illness. Um, but I, I just think it's it's good to think about, like, who are we trying to be obedient to? And, and who are we giving away our agency to? A lot of times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Holy moly. Wow. So you have this five-year-old son. We're in the middle of COVID and I was reading through some of your Instagram posts and you talked about how your whole life has been, um, I mean, obviously you've tried to, you've adapted to your own normal and, you know, it, it's been quote unquote as normal as, as can be for you, except that you always do have to take into consideration keeping distance from people, staying away from germs, protecting yourself probably during flu seasons or, you know, I mean, the level at which we're having, the lay population is having to be careful now to avoid COVID is very similar to how you've lived your whole life and being mindful of that. So talk to me about that and what have you seen from other people and their reactions to all these additional precautions? Like what's your take on that when people are like pushing back against it or whatever? Because yeah, for most of us, it's not going to be a devastating disease. But part of why we're being careful is for people like you who we want to protect. So I'm, I'm just curious your your perspective during these last uh I don't know how long has it been seven eight months holy moly right right um and I mean no matter what I say it's going to you know some people are going to stand behind me and some people are going to push back on what I say because like you said um well we all have our agency to choose and we all see life through our own lens mm -hmm. and Ultimately, what I hope ends up coming from coronavirus, you know, that we learn is the words that my husband said. And he's like, I just hope that it makes people be a little more empathetic to the life that you have had to live. And it helps people to be more aware of germ spreading and 
people will now have their own personal conviction for themselves and new education and understanding of what to do to not spread mm-hmm. germs and to be a little more cautious of how easily they could infect somebody around them, whether they're infecting with coronavirus or a common cold, you know, it, the spreading of the germs happens in the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard because me coming from somebody who is in the high risk population for coronavirus. Um, but like you said, I've lived high risk my whole life. Um, I am elated that everybody (laughs) now is wearing masks and washing their hands and carrying hand sanitizer because that's what I've been doing my whole life. And I'm like, yes, like everybody's getting on board. We're going to like help prevent the spread of germs and, yeah, it's cool if people understand a little bit more about how I live, but you know, ultimately the human population and those around us will hopefully be healthier because of what we've learned through this time. Um, and it's to me, it's unfortunate that wearing masks has become a political thing because really it's more of a public health thing in my mind, and I wish that everybody could see it that way. Um, and know that, you know, it's a small act of kindness yeah. wearing a mask and not a restriction of your freedom. Um, but I, you know, I know there are people that see it the other way and I try and I try and honor their decision because they have a right to choose what they want. Um, but in my, in coming from my lens, my heart breaks a little bit because I'm like, oh, if you would just wear that mask, it would help protect me. Mm-hmm. But there are people, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that don't like me, that wouldn't be sad if I got coronavirus and wasn't here. You know, there are people that don't care about people with disabilities or don't worry about the high-risk people. You know, I've heard the survival of the fittest analogy that that's what coronavirus is doing. You know, it's weeding out. Um, or eliminating the people of the world that, you know, bring illness into the next generation and the next generation. If all those people were wiped out, what kind of strength would the human body have? The next generation coming forth for all these people that survived a pandemic or had immune systems strong enough for that, you know? And it stinks when I hear those because I try, like it, it hurts me and it hurts my heart because I'm part of that population um, that really would not survive Mm -hmm. if I contracted coronavirus. And it makes me sad when I hear people um, not wanting, I'm going to use air quotes, people like me um, around, meaning the high risk people or the weak, you know, I've heard all of those things because people, nobody's holding back their opinions. And Um, but ultimately, you know, what I am trying to focus on is when people are wearing masks, really thanking them for that, Mm -hmm. um, and cheering them on when I do see them like throw hand sanitizer on after, you know, opening a door or something. And, you know, I have some really great friends, some people that are like my closest friends that are against, wearing masks and part of the anti-mask side of things right now. But what is great is even though we're on different sides, we've still been able to maintain our friendships. And I think that is very important um, and allowing one another grace and knowing that we disagree on this, but we do have other things in common and focusing on what we do have in common. And, you know, they, those, those individuals at times have decided to wear a mask for, you know, not all the time, but that one moment when they did, they took a selfie and said, I decided to wear a mask in your honor today, or mm. today it really hit me that you could, you know, catching coronavirus for you would be so devastating. And so today I decided to wear a mask to protect you Mm. because I want to protect you, you know? And I think we all just need to find that person that we want to protect. And even if we disagree or we feel like our freedoms are being restricted by mask mandates or 
laws being put in place or, you know, even suggestion of masks and removing ourselves, not making it about us Mm -hmm. and making it about the people around us. How can we better the world? I think we all want to do something important or better the world. And honestly, you could save somebody's life by wearing a mask and keeping them protected. And it goes beyond you, but also what you could do to change the world. You know, if I ended up being somewhere where somebody was sick next to me with coronavirus, um, I'm going to be wearing a mask. And if they were to really, they just saved my life. Right. The ball's in their court, you know, and because they chose to wear a mask and I was wearing a mask, you know, maybe I wouldn't have caught coronavirus. And, um, you know, so much of this topic is so heavy, but I think that the, the mask wearing and germ passing is what is at the forefront or what seems to be at the forefront of this pandemic. And, you know, I hope that my experience might help somebody view it in a different lens and if they choose to change their opinion or choose to change their actions, um, then that's great because yeah. I'll like cheer for them because they're <laughs> protecting so many other people. Um, and I hope, you know, we can just remove ourselves and remember it's not about us. It's about the people that, that can't protect themselves, but that we have the ability to protect them. Yeah. Well, and just in hearing from you and and hearing of your story and how hard you fought and how many miracles have taken place to get you to the age of 31, it would be hard for me to believe that anybody can know you or hear from you or hear about your story and would ever say to your face, like, I'm willing to, you know, put you in at risk because of my own like adversity to like the man like that just seems so ridiculous but on online and when we can be so anonymous and we can just spew these things it just gets so escalated but like you said if you can picture that one person and maybe you are and you have been that one person for people to picture that every time you put on a mask it's like I'm protecting Mandy and I'm And that has a ripple effect. It has a ripple effect. And so I hope people will choose that one person that they're willing to go the extra mile for, whether it's putting on the mask or whether it's doing a whole host of other things that just extends a little bit of kindness. Um, Do that. Do that for for other people this week. Um, Just one final question about coronavirus that I'm just curious about. Um, Are you, well, I don't think that you live in fear at all. That's not how you operate. But do you, I guess fear is the right word, like fear coronavirus more than, let's say, like the seasonal flu or pneumonia season or things like that that you've had to face in the past seasons? Is this scarier to you? Um, So you asked a very hard question. For me, a personally very loaded question as your last question. Um, And it's very funny because... I, I do feel that I have been able to live my life without fear, but coronavirus and the threat that it directly poses to me um, has been the most mentally taxing thing I have ever hmm. lived through. Hmm. And it has been so hard. And I, I, I do fear coronavirus because... I, I think part of it is the lack of control that I do have, mm-hmm. you know, before it's cystic fibrosis is happening inside of me 24 seven. It's like wreaking havoc and destroying my body from the inside out. Right. But I can do treatments to help combat it. I can take medication to make my body a little healthier so it can, you know, slow the progression of the disease. And when it's cold and flu season, I can make the decisions to wear a mask. I can make the decisions not to go to public places. Um, But I always had, you know, there's medical treatment on my side. If I did catch pneumonia, Mm -hmm. they have treatments and medications for those things to help me get better and to fight it. But when it comes to coronavirus, I can control my decisions and stay inside and um, social distance. But 
other people have their choices not to do that. Yeah. And when it comes to the treatment of coronavirus, we do not have a sound treatment yet. There's no proven method to clear it up or to fight it. And um, then you, on an even bigger scale, there are hospital protocols that have been put in place on how to triage and manage a pandemic. And in several states, it specifically states in those protocols that people with cystic fibrosis will not get a ventilator. Wow. And that protocol is in the state that I live in. Wow. And so I really have a hard time with coronavirus and the lack of control I have and the lack of treatment and the lack of medical backing. Does that make sense? It does. Like, some, like you said, somebody else might get coronavirus and their body's healthy enough that it can make them sick and they'll get better. But, you know, they might have to go to the hospital and they'll recover. They might have to go to the hospital, be on a ventilator and, you know, the ventilator's working their lungs for them while their body can't and then they'll get better and then they'll go home. Some yeah. people that won't happen, but for me, my body already doesn't have the ability to really fight that off. Mm. And if I have to go in the hospital and, you know, there is a big outbreak and ventilator shortage, like I'm on the list of people to not get a ventilator and that hurts. Wow. That hurts. And that creates a lot of fear, you know, yeah. that I yeah. feel very many people don't have my back and it's, you know, the people that are you know, anti-mask and, yeah. you know, anti-social distancing. And then the the person that probably was healthy and never had somebody with cystic fibrosis, never dealt with somebody with chronic illness, that wrote that in their protocol. Like, that hurts. Wow. And so it's been extremely difficult for me at this time. And, um, you know, I'm still going through it. I'm going through lots of therapy. I'm strengthening my faith every single day. And, um you know, talk to me after this is over, (laughs) after, you know, we move past coronavirus. And I'll tell you if I made it through the whole, whole thing, um, better than I have now, because I wish I could say that I didn't have fear of coronavirus, but I do, I do. Um, and you know, I luckily my inner circle of people, they do have my back and they are doing what they can to, prevent the spread, but also do everything they can to protect me and keep me healthy. And I am so thankful for the people in my inner circle and, you know, the people that are working so hard in the medical field to figure out some treatment or some medication or, you know, right now everything's in chaos because so much is in the air that we don't understand Mm -hmm. about coronavirus. But hopefully as time goes on, you know, we will have more information and the goal is to endure until that time. And then, you know, hopefully we all as a community and people of the world can take a sigh of relief when, okay, we, we, we made it through coronavirus. We can take a collective sigh, no matter what side you are on, um, you know, mask or no mask or coronavirus is real coronavirus is a hoax. You know, at the end of that, we should all collectively be able to take a side together and hopefully be unified again. Hopefully. Well, and thank you for, I know that was a difficult question and I really wanted to ask because I have been somebody that at my weakest moments in these past eight months have compared coronavirus to the flu for, for somebody like me and my family who are not at risk in the same way. I had no idea about that ventilator protocol in some states, no idea. And that's the thing, like this is not a political show and I have the kindest group of listeners and so you are only gonna receive love from this. We're not, we just want you to see people as people. That's that's the least we can do. See Mandy as a fellow wonderful contributing human being. I hope people see my comments as somebody that is trying to be educated, trying to learn, trying to love, and, you know, trying to grow. I think that's what we're all striving to do, most of us, in in this time. And the more that we can hear from people like you who are having a genuinely different life experience during this time, it gives us so much more perspective. 
And you better believe I have a lot to think on. And when I, you know, am mad about my my mask knee, my my mask acne from like, oh, here we go again. Like, (laughs) I'm going to think of it a little different. Well, a lot different, Mandy, because it is the least I can do to protect someone like you. And there's a lot more someones like you out there. You know, and and I am a mask. Like I'm already wearing a mask. I'm already following the protocols, but it just makes it more personal. So I really appreciate that. And I look forward to hearing from you after this whole thing is done and we've all laid our arms down and coronavirus is is treatable, right? It's not going away, but it's going to be treatable sometime. And you can go back to not being fearful of this thing. But I understand why you would be. And I appreciate that perspective so much. You're extraordinary. I mean, <laughs> you're extraordinary. You are so extraordinary and just so wise beyond your years. And I'm just so grateful that you took the time to share your journey and what you're currently going through just to help educate us and inspire us. And when I, when you were talking about survival of the fittest, I'm picturing you running a half marathon at the elevation that you're at. And then I'm picturing myself trying to hike the, oh, I mean, I'm in California. So then I tried to hike the Y one time and I was going from point, like the first point to like the point one mile marker. And I just about died. And <laughs> the elevation, I'm thinking like, what is wrong with me? Right. And so I'm thinking like survival of the fittest, like, you would outlast me any day, girl. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there is so much strength within all of us. And there are certain challenges that may deem us weaker to society. And it is just simply no marker of who is weak and who is strong. Because those doctors had no idea what you were going to be capable of. No idea when they were talking to you many, many years ago. Way to go, girl. Thank you, Jessica. You're very kind. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it. Well, I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's lighter than the last one. So here we go, Mandy. (laughs) What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? You're going to do it. Yeah. You're going to do it, and you're going to be okay. And, you know, you're going to excel beyond what people's expectations for you are. And you're going to love it even more than you thought, especially when it gets really hard because you're, you're going to be grateful that you get to live through the hard with your children because, you know, I wasn't guaranteed that, but I am and living through the hard, even though it's still hard, I'm still living and, um, you know, just be grateful for every day with it that I get. Yeah. Thank you, Mandy. Where can people follow you online? Um, I am Sherman Mandy on Instagram. Um, it's my last name, first name, and that's S-H-E-R-M-A-N-M-A-N-D-I-E. Same handle on Twitter. Um, I have a blog that is shermanarmy.com. Mm. And we also have a little shop of t-shirts and some swag that is shermanarmy.com. Amazing. Mandy, this was meant to be. I just have tears in my eyes and I just cannot tell you how perfect you are for the guest this week. Thank you so much for making time for this so last minute, but I'm excited for everyone to hear from you. You're so extraordinary. Thank you, Jessica. I want to thank Mandy for coming on the show and for sharing about her journey that interview surpassed my wildest expectations. I knew she was amazing, but to hear about her motherhood journey and about what she had to face being her own advocate against doctors that advised her differently than carrying her son, who is now five years old and thriving. I also loved her perspective on this time of the pandemic and the coronavirus. I hope that we can open our minds to other people that are living through this experience differently than we are. And that when we can do that, they can become that one person for us. That they're the reason that we want to protect others around us. That we can lead with kindness by simply wearing a mask. And that when you picture Mandy and her sweet family, you just think, I would do anything for her. 
She is the most extraordinary, sincere warrior mama I've talked to in a long time. And it is just a pleasure to know her. And now I call her my best friend. <laughs> so make sure that you check out her blog and follow her on Instagram. That's all linked at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalquist 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I am so grateful for you. Thanks for tuning in every week. If you know any extraordinary moms, feel free to reach out on Instagram or you can email me at um, jessicadalquist at gmail.com. I'm always looking for regular extraordinary moms to have on the show. You do not need to have a platform. If it's you, don't hesitate to pitch yourself. It's not braggy. It's not selfish. It's not conceited. You're just owning that being a mom is important. And if you have a story to share, I want to help you to do that. So everyone have a great week, everybody. And we will see you next week for another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.